Welcome to I Communicate on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome to I Communicate, everyone. I'm Mark Altman, and uh, glad to be back here with you talking about a very unusual concept. Uh, it's, it's, it's called a personal SWOT analysis. And for those of you who aren't familiar with the concept of a SWOT analysis, SWOT analysis stands for, the S is for strengths, the W is for weaknesses, the O is for opportunities, and the T is for threats. And very often in corporate America, companies will do these SWOT analysis is, uh, boy, that was a mouthful, Jazz. Um, SWOT analysis is, is, is um, and um, they'll often do that uh, to really understand the state of where the company is at. And it's kind of a check-in. It's like an annual process. It often is involved when companies do strategic planning. And it's really a check-in to understand where the company not just sees the strengths of their company, whether it's the employees, whether it's the products or services, uh, whatever it is, it's to us not only assess what the strengths are, but are they properly leveraging those strengths, okay? The weakness is, it's are you, do you have any blind spots? Are you self-aware of the weaknesses you have as a company, departmental weaknesses, again, individual weaknesses, product service weaknesses, technology weaknesses. So it's really an overview of what your weaknesses are and what you need to prioritize in correcting or fixing. The opportunities are an opportunity, no pun intended, to see what's out there for your company. Are there market trends in the industry that you're not taking advantage of? Do you see any customer trends where a lot of people are buying a certain product or a revenue stream is really taking off at your company? So what's going on? What are the opportunities that present themselves for the company? Again, product-based, service-based, technology-based, market-based. And last but not least, the threats. And the threats, the, the threats that people most often identify with are competition. So what are the threats to your company? Who are your biggest competitors? Um, what new lines of business are they coming out with that you need to be aware of? And anything that could threaten your bottom line, your revenue. Threats can also include operational challenges, financial challenges, procedural challenges, um, hiring, recruiting, and retention challenges. So the threats can be pretty wide. So this is, as I said, a process that companies typically do each year. Well, there's something called a personal SWOT analysis, and it really focuses on yourself. So you may ask, okay, well, why would someone do a personal SWOT analysis? Well, there's a, there's a few main reasons why. First of all, we're seeing it more and more now when people are transitioning from jobs and careers. And they're try, they're, there's been, since the pandemic took place, more than ever, um, there's a lot of job changing. Um, in April, May, and June, 11,500,000 people uh, quit their job. So people are quitting, people are reflecting on what they want out of life, whether it's their job, their industry, their career path. They're reflecting on, hey, what are my true strengths and how could that translate into a different job or career path? They're reflecting on possibly taking an entrepreneurial path and maybe going into business for themselves and what does that mean? So a personal SWOT analysis, understanding your strengths, your weaknesses, the opportunities that exist for you and the threats is incredibly valuable when it comes to career planning, 
job change, preparing for a job interview. We see a lot of kids graduate from college and they have all this money and student loans and they've done all these internships and they still have no idea what they want to be doing. So SWOT analysis can give you clarity on where you fit um, from a skill, knowledge, and experience level. It could be a life change. I just want to say it's hugely important being someone who just graduated with my business administration degree and like have been trying to move forward in this kind of thing myself. It's so important to analyze yourself and figure out what you want to do and how you're going to get there. Yeah. And and to your point, Jess, you know, the last point I was going to make is it's great to really understand your skills and your experience and your knowledge levels. And what's funny is if you ask a lot of people, if you stopped them on the street and said, what are your biggest strengths? Just, just forget the, 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 the what. We'll just do the S, the strengths. Okay. What are your biggest strengths? A lot of people would struggle to answer. Um, and how do you learn? Like, what are your biggest strengths? Like, how do you figure out? Well, there's, there's basically three ways to figure it out, right? Um, you, you've become self-aware of your strengths based on your confidence and comfort level doing certain tasks and skills. You've received feedback from peers, family, or friends over the years that has kind of reinforced what you think your strengths are and what they're not. Or you may have received feedback from a boss or a position of someone in a position of authority that has validated or reinforced your strengths. But the, the biggest challenge in doing a SWOT analysis for yourself is there's so many blind spots people have and really understanding how to identify what those strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats are. So the, the, the first piece to doing a SWOT analysis is the process, finding out like, who am I going to talk to? What am I going to do? You know, what are the uh, next steps for me in this process? So here's how it works, okay? For those of you who are thinking about this. So the first thing is you want to determine the outcomes. So why am I doing this SWOT analysis? What's it going to look like when I finish? Well, the idea here is when you do a SWOT analysis, and let me take a step back for a minute. I've often said to a lot of the organizations I work with that, when you do a DISC assessment or a predictive index or a Myers-Briggs or any of these behavioral asset leadership assessments that are out there, my biggest complaint I've said before and time and again is, it's great that you're doing them. And once you become aware of the tendencies and the behavior patterns from those assessments, what do you do with them? So if people need some professional development or coaching and training as a result, do you guide them? If you're a CEO and you're working with a COO and now you've seen these predictive index tendencies, do you take the time to talk through what some of these challenges may be in communication before they happen? Cut them off at the pass proactively. So that's the whole thing about a SWOT analysis. You can sit there and take it and go through the steps and having a great SWOT analysis, but what do you do with the information? And what you do with the information is you update your resume, you practice job interview skills, you now use this information to provide you clarity on what your next steps are in your career, in your life, in your job. That's what you do with it. The expression knowledge is power. That's what it, it is. You're, get, you're providing knowledge. And to do a SWOT analysis, part of the process is to reach out to a chosen few people to support you with this analysis to give you that feedback. 
And it really, you know, it really is a critical process because the people that you're confiding in choosing in this SWOT analysis, these have to be people who the bare minimum you trust and respect. But Jess, here's the biggest part of this, right? Most people don't feel comfortable telling you what your weaknesses are. So you could go up to your best friend, Jazz, and you could say, hey, what are my strengths? They'll be happy to volunteer your strengths. But now when you get into the weaknesses, people usually aren't comfortable because they don't want to make you feel bad. They don't um, want to hurt your feelings. They don't want to hurt your feelings. So part of selecting the right people for a personal SWOT analysis is people that you think will be open and honest with you. Now, here's the thing. There's a simple technique you can use in communication. Even if there's some people who you think could give you really valuable feedback, but you're not 100% convinced they will be honest with you when they give you the feedback, this is what you do. When you reach out to them and ask for the feedback, tell them why you picked them. Tell them what you value about them and how you value that they've been candid or open or honest with you as long as you've known them. But the last piece I'm going to share with you before we go into break is give them permission. Tell them, I want to know. I'm asking you. If I, if I didn't care, I wouldn't ask. Please feel free to share with me the feedback so I can be a better person for it. So it's giving people permission to give feedback is a simple yet powerful tool to get it. So we're going to continue on the personal SWOT analysis for I Communicate. I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about a personal SWOT analysis. And right before the break, I was talking about how to create that comfort and psychological safety for the person giving you the feedback and give them permission to provide the open and honest feedback and also tell them how you're going to use it and why it's valuable. I mean, that's a big piece to this too. So let's go through this. On the show today, we're going to, we're going to talk about you know, some of the questions to ask and some of the things to consider when you're doing this personal SWOT analysis. You know, the first step is to list your strengths. And again, I mentioned blind spots earlier in the show. So there's some key questions, right? And one of my favorite questions is, do you perform a certain skill better than anybody else? Now, I have asked people that question hundreds of times in my career. And I'm going to tell you 99% of the time I get crickets. But you know why? It makes sense if you think about it. Because how do you know if you technically do it better than everybody else? Everybody else is a big group of people, right? Well, and no one wants to ring their bell quite that hard, right? Well, well that, that, Jazz, that's a, that's a huge point, right? People don't want to ring their bell. And so here's what it comes down to. I ask it in an exaggerated way to make a point. Do you know what skill that you personally take a lot of pride in? And a good way to say it is something that you do so well that you don't even need to think about it when you do it. It's like, you know how to wash your hands. You know how to get dressed in the morning. You don't have to read directions. You just, it's, it's just second, it's, it's second nature to you. So that's the question is, what are the skills that you perform in the, in the workplace that have become second nature and are so innate to your success um, that you see it as a differentiator? That's a big one. You know, an, another thing is your proudest achievements and accomplishments. 
what are some things that you've accomplished that you would use in a job interview? You would use to sell yourself, right? That's a big thing. And part of the challenge with this is you have to genuinely and authentically be proud of those things. Because if you're just picking them out, like, oh, I did do this and I did do that, that's not going to get it done. If you were teacher of the year, you should be damn proud of that. But I don't really care that you were teacher of the year. I care more about the criteria that was used that earns you that teacher of the year accolade. Um, same thing with if you work in a restaurant business, you're server of the year. Accomplishments are meaningful. The titles themselves don't mean much to me. The criteria they're based on is what means something to me and should mean something to you. You may not know what those criteria are always based on. You may need to look it up. You may need to do some research. But if you're applying for a teacher and you're going to say in your job interview, well, one of the reasons you should want to hire me is because I was teacher of the year. Well, you know what would go through my head? Well, first of all, when were you teacher of the year? Was it 20 years ago? Because if it was 20 years ago, what have you done for me lately? Secondly, like I said, I would want to know the criteria. Third, I would want to know how many teachers you were up against. If you were the ninth grade teacher of the year in your high school and you were up against six other teachers, eh, that's good. But it's one out of seven. Like, that's not so impressive. You get the point. I'm not trying to diminish anybody's accomplishments. I'm trying to get you to dive a little deeper into the value of your accomplishments and be able to articulate what that value is. Now, one other question on strengths that I think is critical is, what do other people see as your strengths? And hence, you finding those people to talk about. Why is that important? Well, because the feedback you're receiving other, from other people are people's real-life experience and observations they've had with you. So if I was to interview you and you were to say to me, one of my biggest strengths is um, I'm a great communicator. Well, the first thing that would go through my mind is, says you. I mean, I, I, I don't even know you. So you're telling me I'm a great communicator doesn't convince me you're a great communicator. So when you learn what other people see as your strengths, it's a twofold exercise. First is understand what people truly see in you. And the second thing is when you share feedback about yourself, state it from the other person's perspective. Because if you said, I'm a really good communicator as opposed to, you know, in my last job, my boss often told me I was an excellent communicator when he saw me do blank and blank. Now it's secondhand information, which is more valuable in this case, because what you tell me you're good at doesn't necessarily mean anything. I mean, that's a really critical thing. I mean, I do so much work with people on the concept of managing yourself. Managing yourself is... You have to know your blind spots. How do you know your blind spots? We compare your assessment of yourself with other people's assessment of you in the same categories. Then we know your blind spots. Blind spots is often stereotyped as a negative. You may have positive blind spots. You may have things that people see and notice about you that they value and appreciate and recognize, and you never knew that. And you, you don't even know how to leverage those things or take advantage of those things when you're talking to people. I don't care whether you're running for class president in a high school. 
I don't care whether you're trying to get a job freshly out of college, or I don't care whether you're 40 or 50 starting a new life transition. You have got to be able to articulate your value, and your value includes positive blind spots, which is why a SWOT analysis, one of the many reasons why a personal SWOT analysis is so valuable. Now, the last thing I'm going to say about this before we go on to weaknesses is... Do you have any values or ethics others lack? Well, that can get a little fluffy and generic. If you tell me, and I hear this a lot, if you tell me that you really value integrity, honesty, and respect, like I, I, it's going to put me to sleep. Um, valuing it, a lot of people will tell you they value it. If you can demonstrate how you've modeled it, for other people, real life examples, that's what's valuable in the strengths of your SWOT analysis, not just the core values and morals and ethics themselves. It's what are they and how have you modeled them and how do you prove to people every day that you practice integrity, honesty, and respect? That's what we're talking about. So we're going to go on to weaknesses. How do you even prove that though? I'll tell you, I can answer that. So it's examples. Let's take integrity, Jess. So a perfect example would be uh, telling a story of how you made a mistake on a report you submitted to your boss and your boss didn't catch it. And you weren't necessarily convinced it was going to cause any harm. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go as far to say you were 80 to 90% convinced it wasn't going to cause any harm. Integrity is saying to your boss, you may not have noticed, but I wanted to bring this to your attention because it could affect the reports you present to your boss. It could affect decisions you're making. That's an example. Um, And, you know, another example, Jazz, is accountability. And so if you told me a story, imagine being on a job interview where you're talking about a story of how you wronged someone, you made a mistake in someone with someone, and you told them how you recognized it, how you handled it to be accountable, and what you chose to do differently in the future to not repeat the mistake. Now, that's powerful, right? Right, but also watching your blind spots on that one, too, to make sure that you're telling the story from you know, a neutral perspective right. almost well said. instead of with your own biases. Or- well said. That's, that's, a, that's a really important point. See, the problem is, Jazz, the, the challenge is that to be able to convey this information, these core values and ethics, the problem is to do it effectively, you have to be vulnerable and admit flaws. And so many people go into a job interview and they're like, you know, what's your bigness, biggest weakness? Oh, I work too hard. You know, so, so people, it's not that they're trying to necessarily hide it. It's that they're so fearful of the consequence of admitting it as opposed to I've had many people interview with me for jobs that I can tell are so polished and rehearsed that I can tell they're not even being authentic as opposed to someone who says, you know what? Here's a lesson I learned. Yeah, that's very true. And I, I, I challenge to find one person who's in the, in the recruiting and hiring space who if someone told a story where they were accountable about a lesson they learned around integrity or transparency or honesty, that that would be a strike against them? 
I, I struggle to think there's many people out there that would count that as a strike. So, All right, so when we come back for our next segment, we're going to get into the weaknesses category. And what you're going to find is, you know, the weaknesses and threats do have some crossover, but there are also very different too. And, you know, my final thought I want you to think about going into break, it's about the word weakness. It's a horrible word. Who wants weaknesses? So the first thing is a mindset shift. They're not weaknesses. They're areas of development. We've got to call them weaknesses because it's the W in SWAT. But at the end of the day, as you're thinking about this, when we come back, think about what would you say your areas of development are? For I Communicate, we'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. We're talking about doing a personal SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And I said right before the break, we're talking about uh, looking at the word weaknesses. And, you know, I'm, it's funny. You know, I talked about it's just not a great word. Um, and what's interesting is it's so different of a mindset to look at a weakness as something you suck at as opposed to an area you need to improve at or third choice is an area you want to improve at. It's such a different mindset to choose, hey, I want to work on this or I need to work on this. Need to work on it is creating a burden. Want to work on it is that you value putting in the time, effort, and commitment to work on it. If you are a basketball player and you want to get better at dribbling, for example, if you feel like, well, I need to spend 20 minutes every day practicing my dribbling, that feels like something else to do in an already busy life. If you feel like I want to practice 20 minutes every day, because if I do, I might get more playing time and score more points and have a better role on the team, then you could see the difference in mindset there. So the first thing is how you, what your identity is around the word improvement, development areas and weaknesses. So one of the things that I think is a phenomenal question to ask on weaknesses is, what fears do you have that may be holding you back? That question really gravitates with me or resonates with me, I should say, because a lot of people talk about blind spots. If you don't know how to do something in the workplace or you're not comfortable learning a skill, a core competency, a knowledge area, it may be because you have a fear of something. It may be because you fear, feel like you'll never really be good at it. It may be feel like you have a fear because it's going to be so much to learn and it's going to take a lot of time and energy to figure it out and you still may not be great at it. So being able to understand fears that you have that may be holding you back, maybe you have a fear that if you become an entrepreneur and start a new business that you're not going to make any money and you're going to have wasted a year of your life and then have to go get another job again. I mean, that's, that's, a, I mean, that's a reasonable fear. I mean... Let's face it, anybody who's ever gone down the entrepreneurial path can tell you, or most people can tell you, that the first year or two is pretty tough. You know, to build the client base and to figure everything out operationally, sales, marketing, employees. So that's a realistic fear. But the problem is, if you are considering during this personal SWOT analysis, becoming an entrepreneur, for example, and you said, I'm too worried that I'm not going to make money. Well, that's when you have to identify the opportunities and threats and recognize that it is just that, a fear, until you've asked a lot more questions to understand if it's a rational fear. 
Well, even the fear of rejection when going in for an interview. And that that's that's a huge one, Jazz. I mean, you know, I I always look. Let me take a step back because Jasmine just made such a great point. When you are doing something, when you are committing to being successful at something, if your sole barometer for whether it went well is the outcome, you're inevitably going to be disappointed. Um, let's take the job interview as Jasmine suggested. You may have to go on, first of all, you may have to go on five or 10 interviews with different companies, and you may have to go on multiple interviews with those companies. So you may end up going on, let's say it's five companies, and let's say it's three interviews for each company. So that means you may go on 15 interviews, 15 opportunities for rejection. No, and I want to I want to I want to scare you. I'm doing it on purpose. Like I want you to hear that and go, who the heck wants to be rejected 15 times? Who the heck wants to ask a man or a woman out and be told no? Not me. I don't want to, but it's inevitable. You get rejected in life like it's part of life. And so again, it goes back to mindset. If if you let fear control you and guide you, um, you're going to be held back. If you look at rejection, another word that Jasmine and I don't like, and I wish I could come up with a better synonym for it, but another word, but guess what? If you look at it as an opportunity to learn and to grow and to be better, it's a totally different mindset than I didn't get the job. I must not have done well in the interview. My resume stinks. My cover letter stinks. You know, and, and by the way, they may stink. Mm, I, it goes back and forth between, you know, letting yourself be vulnerable and having that self-confidence to be vulnerable without having it really destroy who you are moving forward. It, it does, Jazz. And it also is around your life expectation where do you allow for failure and rejection to be built in to your process? Because if you're trying to avoid it, if you're running from it and you're feel you're fearful of it, you're going to miss out. Like, hence the O in SWAT opportunities. You're going to miss out on opportunities if you're letting fear guide you. So when you're talking about that, you know, you can ask people what they perceive your fears to be. But if you really want to know your fears, you've got to do some introspection to really be honest and articulate your fears. This is the whole purpose of doing a personal SWOT analysis is to be honest and candid. Because if you're trying to cheat and you're not going to write down the whole truth, you're, you're defeating the purpose. So that's one. Um, another great one under areas of development is personal traits that you like to work on or things like poor work habits, time management, disorganization, you're late, things like that. So if you understand those are areas of development going on, going for you. You can work on them. You can how come up with a plan, assuming you want to work on them and you don't feel like you need to work on them because you have to be motivated to do so. So that's a great improvement area question. And this is one of my favorites, Jazz. The last one I'm going to cover under weaknesses. What are some areas in which you'd like to boost your confidence? Now, the one I run into in leadership probably the most is executive presence. And that's the ability to present, influence, public speak, you name it. So a lot of people will say, Mark, I'm just not a good speaker. I'm just not a good presenter. 
And I said, based on what? Like, fine. But but what are you basing it on? Um, I don't know. I just feel like people get kind of bored, you know, when I speak. They may. But if you're if you're guessing and you're defaulting to that, you may or may not be right. And so part of the weakness question is, and this goes with the strength question too. When you tell me you say something is your strength, I'm going to say why. If you tell me someone is something is your weakness, I'm going to say why. You need evidence to back it up. You can't, well, and are you just assuming that right. are, or do you it, have it, people backing you up as to how they feel? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And my rule of thumb around weakness is I will not let people I work with beat themselves up unless they have proof. You got to have proof. You can't just tell me I, I did bad at something. I suck at something. You got to be say, here's why I'm saying that, Mark. And again, the same goes for strengths. You can't just tell me something's a strength without data or feedback to back it up. I need to know. So areas to boost your confidence, it is a huge discernment to make to be able to separate what you think you need to be better at and what you actually need to be better at. And that's by finding people who you can trust and respect. That's where you get this information in the SWOT analysis. But the public speaking's big because there's about... 25 to 50 components of being a good speaker and presenter and influencer. So you can't just say, I stink at public speaking. You can say there's certain aspects of it that I'm not confident in. Um, Here's an example. I've spoken to people who tell me they're great at PowerPoint slides, really visual, compelling PowerPoint slides. Well, that's one of the elements to being a good speaker. So you, can, you, you may be bad at one aspect, but you may be good at the others. Confidence is an enormous word. To say I'm a horrible public speaker or a bad public speaker, I guarantee you're not bad at every aspect of public speaking or leadership or sales or parenting or sister brothering or basketball playing. Okay, so that's weaknesses. So let's go on to the opportunities piece. And the main area I'm going to focus on for opportunities today is the most important thing about the entire section is it's one thing to identify the opportunities. It's a whole other thing to put in an action plan in place to leverage those opportunities and exploit those opportunities. So if the coach of the basketball team in high school says, hey, you work hard this summer, you could get in the starting lineup, well, you've identified an opportunity, but you know what you haven't identified? What you need to do to earn that spot in the starting lineup. So identifying an opportunity is one thing, but knowing what needs to take place to achieve and be successful with that opportunity is a whole different story. And too many people are just settled for the first thing. They recognize, oh yes, wow, that's a great opportunity. You could get a promotion. You can get a promotion. So when I come back from the final break, I'm going to talk about leveraging opportunities and what that means. For I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be right back. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate. We're talking about the O in SWOT analysis for opportunities. And I was talking about leveraging opportunities. And... So the idea is, 
How do you leverage these opportunities? What does the action plan look like? So when we identify an opportunity for someone, the idea here is to help guide them to capitalize on it. And so what we're talking about is what's the action plan look like, right? What is the action plan to look like when someone recognizes they have an opportunity? Is it a new job? Is it being an entrepreneur? Is it being an industry? Is it an industry that you want to tackle? And so there's lots of questions you need to ask yourself. What could you do today that isn't being done? How is your field changing? Do you have contacts that could help you? It's not about doing it all yourself, doing it all yourself. It's about recognizing what are the action plan steps that need to take place in an opportunity because they do come in different shapes and forms. And opportunities come with risk. Opportunities come with fear. And opportunities come with challenges. And all three of those pieces are critical in identifying that opportunity. One of the things that's always interesting to me is um, the low-hanging fruit. We often miss the obvious. If you're trying to figure out at your company, for example, what is an opportunity for you to use leverage your skill or talent or experience, what is something your customers or clients complain about frequently? Well, if whatever that is, is anybody even noticing the trend or pattern of complaints? And if so, do you have a solution to that problem? That's an example. So the whole thing about opportunities is it's a twofold activity. Before I finish the show with threats, it's a twofold exercise. First is what is the actual opportunity that is presenting itself? And two, what kind of clarity do I need to be able to leverage that opportunity? Clarity meaning answers to questions, action steps, identify the risks, identify the obstacles, and identify the benefits. So that's opportunities. Now, threats is the kryptonite to opportunities, right? So when you're doing a personal SWOT analysis, what are the threats that could get in your way to leverage your strengths or opportunities? And I got to tell you a very quick story that's a great example of one of the best ones, and that is... Do you have any obligations that may limit your growth or development? So when I first started with a business coach several years ago, I was lucky enough to find a great business coach. The very first exercise she had me do is she basically had me list all the different, you know, business models or, you know, like business curricular involvements I was doing in my life, whether it be pro bono stuff, whether it be coaching and training and different industries and whatever. So I listed 11 things. And she looked at me in the first coaching session. She's like, are you, are you joking? Like, how can you get where you want to go if you have 11 things on your plate? Like, it's just not really going to happen. So when you think of the word threat, a lot of, a lot of the threats can be internal threats. It's the difference between an internal and an external threat. So if you want to take advantage of an opportunity, but you have other commitments or priorities that are standing in the way of you leveraging that opportunity, you're not going to be able to do it. And if you are, there's a good chance you're not going to be able to do it to the standards and quality you would like because you have too many balls up in the air. It's about people who say um, they're organized and people who say they're detail-oriented, and I say, well, the trick is 
can you be detail-oriented and organized at the same time? Because that's the, that's the art form, right? Which is very few people can do that. So when it comes to threats, first you have to identify what's the difference between an internal and external threat, okay? When you look at your job, job security, look at your job in the company. One of the questions you want to ask is, is the demand for what I do changing? Is the job role itself changing due to technology or economical factors? Is my company financially unstable? These are not brain surgeon level questions. But what it comes down to is, if you're trying to understand personally where you fit in at the company you're working for, you gotta ask yourself these questions. Because it's one thing to understand what your dreams and vision and hopes are. It's another thing to know the tangible threats that you're facing. How about this one? Is there strong competition for the types of jobs which you are best suited? I mean, let's talk about radio. There's not a lot of radio jobs out there. Like, you have to be really, really good. Radio, TV, broadcasting, you have to be the cream of the crop. And my industry, as a speaker, trainer, coach, I have to be, if I want to grow my business, I have to be the best of the best. Because there's so many trainers, coaches, and speakers out there. Do you know how, how much in demand your industry is? And more to the point, going back to your strengths, do you know what sets you apart to be able to survive the threats to your industry that will set you above and beyond and be needed and be valued? Like that's a huge piece. A perfect example for this one would be the healthcare field. Being someone who was a home health aide and having aunt and uncle that I live with that are nurses, it's so crazy to work in the healthcare field. There's so many jobs that need to be filled every single day. And then on top of that, you know, you're not always getting the most quality candidates filling those spots. So you really have to, you know, weigh and choose whether it's the right job for you based on your own qualifications. Well, Jazz, that is a great example because that's what it comes down to. You know, when you look in the healthcare field, it, you could sit back and say, let's say you're at a job in the healthcare field that you don't really love. You don't love the people. You don't love your boss. And you're sitting there feeling your oats and you're going, that's okay. Because if they don't do what I want to do, there's plenty of other jobs out there. And you're super confident. And you can be, right? Because Jasmine's 100% right. That is the state of affairs in the healthcare industry. However, guess what? There's a reason why there's a lot of jobs out there in the healthcare industry. And so when you find all those additional opportunities you're talking about, they may have some of the same problems you have in your job now, which the message there, by the way, is not to lower your standards no, and I just mean, stay if you're not happy. That's exactly. not my point. But and they all have different benefits and they all have different requirements of you and everyone has a different level of you know, education that you need. And there's so much to it when you look into the healthcare field, there really is. Right. And so the whole purpose of doing a personal SWOT analysis is, this is a different scenario Jasmine's bring up. When you have so many choices, so many opportunities, it's like, geez, what do I do? How do I know? Well, then it comes down to what is your qualification process for the opportunity? How do you do due diligence? What are the questions you want to ask? I do a lot of work with individuals on how to assess company culture. You know, we talked earlier in the show about how do you prove that you don't just say you, uh, you value integrity, honesty, and respect, and, you've, and you prove it. Well, how do you prove, if you're the company, how do you prove company culture? Well, there are ways to prove it. But the point is, 
that the whole purpose of a SWOT is to really identify, hey, these are my strengths. These are the opportunities I want to pursue. How does this particular opportunity fit in with that? How would my weaknesses or areas of improvement play out in this culture and in this environment? You give yourself a whole template to evaluate the best fit for you, which is exactly what we said on the top of the show today. Why do a personal SWOT analysis? You know, there's a phrase I often use in leadership. It's love it, leave it, or change it. I Honestly, I can't think of a nicer way to say this. If you have a problem with the company you're working with and you have, or you have a problem with the person that leads you or people on your team, love it, leave it, or change it. If, if you don't want to love it, and love it means accept, if you don't want to love it, then you either leave it or change it. How do you change it? Well, part of how you change it is to know how to have courageous and difficult conversations, but the other part of how you change it is deciding if you even want to change it. And by doing that personal SWOT analysis and understanding about your own wants and needs and strengths and areas of development, you're going to really know if that company is the right fit for you or if it is time to move on and look at other opportunities. I said on the show, I said on a previous show, clarity is kindness. Even if you find you need to make a change or want to make a change, that's knowledge. Knowledge is power. And now it's time to do the personal SWOT analysis to know what would, what would improve your current situation, what would make things better, what would make you happier, more empowered, more confident, more engaged. With a mindset where you wake up almost every morning and are excited to come to work. For a lot of people, that's not a, a viable scenario. People have a resignation mindset. I, you know, Mark, honestly, whatever job I do, the healthcare industry is at a place right now where there's so much demand on people's time and energy. I can't see myself wanting to come to work and be excited for years. Maybe. But if you can start to articulate what would make you excited to come to work, it's a start incrementally. Well, that's one of the reasons I've got out of the field myself, that and COVID. Exactly. So, all right. Well, for the today's show, again, we're talking about personal SWOT analysis. If you want more information and help for some coaching on how to do a personal SWOT analysis, I have templates and I often coach people on this. It is 978-793-1159. The email is info at mindsetgo.com. Become more aware of your blind spots, how to leverage those strengths, how to improve those areas of development and those weakness, and really how to take advantage of the opportunities that present themselves. So for I Communicate, see you next time.